The cliches are drilled into us. The customer comes first. The customer is always right. But are we really putting the customer at the center of our initiatives, especially on the IT side? Hi, I'm Scott Smith, host of Gartner ThinkCast, and it really doesn't matter if you answered yes or no there, because going forward, you need to be a customer-centric organization. But what does that mean, and how do we get there? Gardner analyst Jenny Susson will shed her insights on how we need to interact with customers, today's and tomorrow's, at the Gartner Application Strategies and Solutions Summit, December 4th to 6th in Las Vegas. Right now, she's here in studio with us for a look at customer-centric organizations. Jenny, welcome. Thank you. Now, you have some great research out on customer relationships, including one on the 10 Habits of Customer-Centric Organizations. I think we all tend to think that our companies are customer-centric. What's the reality? The reality is most companies are bogged down in the processes that they've had in place for years, right? And so when they think about customer centricity, they actually focus less on the customer and more on the way things operationally work inside of the organization. And so ultimately, when we start talking about customer centricity, the first thing that we need to do is level set. Who's the customer? The customer is the one that helps us generate new revenue, right? They're the one we need to retain. They're the one we need to keep happy. And focus really from the outside in, as we like to say, rather than focus on your corporate process. What are the main areas, though, that we underestimate or even overlook in truly becoming customer-centric? Sure. I mean, there are quite a lot of them, to be honest, which is where we came up with the 10 habits. I think some of the ones worth focusing on would be this idea of listening to customers as well as giving them feedback. And listening to customers is something that's on the mind of every organization. You'll hear a lot about voice of the customer initiatives, customer analytics. It's a huge investment in this space. And yet, There's a secondary piece of that where when we listen to customers, we ask for their feedback, we need to let them know that we did listen and we paid attention to their feedback. Even if it was, it could be awful feedback, right? They could tell you to do something that's just a horrible idea and that's okay, but we need to let them know that we actually care about what they have to say. Otherwise, the next time we ask them for stuff, they're not going to bother because they're not thinking we're listening, right? So one of the first things that we focus on in the 10 habits is this idea of not only listening to feedback, right? What do you think? What do you have to say? But also telling them that we heard them and producing this feedback loop. So that's one area that's particularly interesting. I would say another area that we're placing additional focus on is this idea of happy employees make happy customers. The old cliche there as well. But there is data to prove that employees who are more engaged and who believe in the value of the organization are likely to pass that on to your customers. And that's because your employees really are your company. Every customer touch point, every support call, every marketing mailer, every time a salesperson hops on the line when they come to a support desk, all of those things impact the way customers view your organization and view the way customers understand you feel about them and their importance to your organization. So one of the things that we like to talk about is, you know, how do you motivate your employees to stay engaged? How do you motivate your employees to do a good job? And I guess the last thing that I would briefly mention here, and it's particularly a hot topic because of recent data breaches, is this idea of privacy. 
And it's this idea of what do customers actually expect from us? And there are several studies that show that customers are okay with you collecting data about them. They're fine with it as long as they get something out of that. And when it comes to privacy, I think a lot of companies need to understand that customers really just want transparency in knowing when you're collecting the data, why you're collecting the data, and then they need to trust you to store it responsibly. So those are three things that I would say companies really need to focus on, but there's a whole lot more. So let's step back a moment. We will go into, in just a second, the 10 habits and list those out for people. But again, we all think the customer is the center of what we do. We need customers to survive in most cases. Mm -hmm. But what is it that distinguishes a customer-centric organization from basically the way we've been doing business so far? Mm -hmm. It's really the idea of outside-in perspective. And, you know, the whole idea of the customer is always right, has always been around And yet we are all individual consumers and we've all been wronged, right? So, you know, we can all spout the customer is always right, but any person you speak to has a negative customer story that they can tell you. So why is that and what's changed? Why that is, is because the processes that companies put in place in order to scale are not always flexible enough to meet the customer need. No one's ever going out there trying to be a bad person or a bad agent of an organization, but they're hamstrung by the process that's in place. And so if the next step in, you know, the script says, here's what you do, you don't have an option beyond that because we don't give employees the flexibility to do that kind of thing. And that's systemic and it's every organization. No one is exempt from that. Everybody has that problem and it's a problem of scale. That's why it's really fun to work with small businesses because they are actually very customer-centric, right? So as you scale, that becomes a particular problem. So that's one piece is this idea that unfortunately we're hamstrung by processes and we can't move forward. The second piece about what's changed now is actually something that's been changing over the past 10 years. And it's this ability for consumers and for customers to shout a public decree, I suppose, when something's been wrong. And it's the advent of social media and text messaging and digital communication that allows us to spread the word about our experiences faster amongst our peers. And it gives customers this unprecedented power that they never had in the past. And so customer centricity, while we could always pay lip service to it, was never actually something everyone needed to focus on. And the bottom line is, You have to. Our guest is Gartner analyst Jenny Susson. Jenny will be speaking at the Gartner Application Strategies and Solutions Summit, December 4th to 6th in Las Vegas, where they will be covering a wide range of topics that will hit upon each of the 10 habits, really, that we're going to uh, focus on right now. And let me quickly go through. These are the 10 habits of customer-centric organizations. One, continuously listening to customers, as you just mentioned before. Two, consistently following up with customers on their feedback. Three, acting proactively to anticipate needs. Four, building customer empathy into processes and policies. Five, respecting customer privacy. Six, sharing knowledge internally and with customers. Seven, motivating employees to stay engaged. Eight, acting systemically to improve the customer experience. Nine, creating accountability for customer experience improvements. And 10, 
adapting to customer demands and circumstances in real time. Now, we could go into a program on each of those and it would be great to do so going forward, (laughs) but right now we do have limited time. So I wanted to pull out just a few of those to touch on. You already hit on a couple, but wanted to expand on there. Right at the top, continuously listening to customers. And again, I bring that one up because I think we have a perception that we're doing it. We've convinced ourselves, we hear our customers, we give them what they want. What is it though about continuously listening Mm -hmm. that we need to start doing? Sure. We have an unprecedented ability to listen to our customers 24-7 in a way that we haven't been able to in the past. And this gets to some of our research on the voice of the customer and this idea that there are several types of feedback. There are several types of input a customer can be providing to your organization. It's not just surveys. It's not just focus groups. Those are what we call direct feedback. I ask you, how do you feel? You respond to me. I record it. So that's direct feedback. And that's what most companies have been doing maybe quarterly over the past couple of decades, honestly. Then there's this idea of indirect feedback. And this is somewhat new, right? There's always been some sort of indirect feedback in loose text communication and email, let's say. But now listening on social media is another great example of indirect feedback. It's people talking about you and not to you and your ability to kind of tune into that, right? And then there's inferred feedback. And inferred feedback is something that, again, has always been around, but it's becoming much more accessible. And it's this idea of based upon a behavior, based upon an action you just took, what do I actually get from you? So think about it this way. I could fill out a survey that says, I'm very unhappy with you. I'm very unhappy with you. I'm, right? Every time I fill out the survey, I say, I'm very unhappy with you. But then if I continue to buy from you, what does that say to me? It says to me that I don't actually need to change anything because you will continue to buy from me. It's something which you've seen over the years in cable TV, right? And in the past, people didn't have options. So they could get that negative feedback and continue not to change and it would be fine. One of the reasons now it becomes so critical to continuously listen to feedback is there's new stuff out there. There's stuff that you've been ignoring. There's stuff that you actually need to action because there are digital disruptors that exist who are willing to come in and capitalize on those opportunities that you've kind of let fall by the wayside. Next one I want to call out involves a word that is very much at the top of the mind of the public discourse right now. That's empathy. Mm -hmm. And yet it would strike me as being one of the tougher things to get a team to start, to get your employees to start compassing? Because many of us think empathy is one of those things you just have or you don't have, and how do you teach it? And yet here you are saying we need to build customer empathy into our processes and policies. Mm -hmm. How do we, that's different than just awareness. How do we get empathy and really start feeling for our customers? Right. So a lot of this goes back to what we were talking about earlier, this idea that as you scale, processes become a bit more rigid. And as they become rigid, it doesn't allow your employees the freedom to do what they feel is right in the situation because they feel like they're stuck in the process. When we talk about building empathy into processes, a lot of it is that flexibility, right? So a lot of it is allowing your employees some wiggle room to maybe color outside the lines when they feel that it's appropriate in the situation. Now, that doesn't mean that employees are able to give away hundreds of thousands of dollars in free merchandise or services every year. That's not what it means. What it means is something like the Ritz-Carlton has this kind of legendary policy here where 
they have about $2,000 to make a situation right with you. So let's say you're staying at a Ritz, you're upset, you go down to the front desk, the employee who's standing there knows that you've got about $2,000 in this either visit or in the year, I'm not, I can't remember exactly what it is, but the idea is they have a certain amount of money, they have a certain wallet to work within to make you happy. And that doesn't mean that they need to give it all away, but it means that they're given a little bit of flexibility for when the situation calls for it to do the right thing. And it's this idea of showing employees that you actually trust them to make the right decision that empowers them to show that empathy to your customers. And so when we say building it into processes, it's really about flexibility, right? It's really about user design. What would somebody want to do in that situation that they're currently unable to do with the way things are structured? Again, we only have time for a few of them here, so this will be the last one we focus on here, but I greatly recommend that people check out Jenny's research on the 10 Habits of Customer-Centric Organizations and once again uh, build on all of these concepts at the Gartner Application Strategies and Solutions Summit in Las Vegas in December. This one I find especially interesting for our audience, which is primarily technology folks, Uh, because often we've thought of ourselves as a bit removed from the customer process. We're not the person at the front counter. We're often, if not behind them, two or three steps behind, and an order comes down saying, we need you to fix this to make, which eventually make life easier for the customer. So how do we, across the enterprise, start to create accountability for the customer experience? So you asked a couple of interesting questions in there, actually. And the first is this idea of who's your customer? And when you talk to a lot of IT executives and you say, who's your customer? They'll start referring to their customer as a marketing colleague, a support colleague, an HR colleague. And what I really, 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 really want to emphasize is that is not your customer. That is your peer. You do not serve them. You serve the person who makes your company money. And why it's so important to understand that is when we get hung up on catering to internal process decisions versus thinking about what's best externally is when we start moving away from customer centricity and again into our operational dysfunction. And so the reason that understanding that becomes important when we talk about accountability for the customer experience is that you in IT have responsibility for the customer experience, right? You're not just a servant to your marketing colleague who says, hey, go build this. You should ask why. You should do your own research. You should figure out what it is that they're actually trying to build and identify if that's truly the best way to do it. And if you look at organizations, you know, their feedback is that marketing organizations, for the most part, lead customer experience initiatives, But an interesting part of that is that when you ask who has secondary responsibility for customer experience initiatives, all of a sudden IT starts to pop up, right? IT comes into the picture more, as well as service and sales, et cetera. So accountability could be centered in your marketing organization, right? You want to say marketing's in charge of the customer experience, fine. However, that doesn't mean that everybody else is now completely removed from the equation, What it means is that we each have a responsibility in making sure that the decisions we make as a company, especially the technology decisions we make as a company, eventually serve that end consumer, eventually serve a purpose to retain, to grow existing accounts or new accounts, right? It's all about the Benjamins. You you touched earlier on the example of the Ritz-Carlton, and hopefully we don't start a run on people thinking they can 
can get their way to a two thousand dollar. Fingers uh, crossed. Uh, I'm <laughs> here. Maybe I should stay there. Or something. <laughs> exactly. But do, do you have some other organiza- uh, Excuse me. Do you have some other examples of organizations that are really setting the standard right now as being customer centric? Absolutely. I mean, they're the ones we all think about, like Zappos, Rackspace, Amazon. So folks that really understand their customer base and aim to support that customer base. They're also others and others in the sense that they identified a market opportunity to disrupt and they used the customer experience as the way to disrupt. And examples would be ride sharing services like Uber and Lyft, right? It's not that we didn't have access to taxis before. It's that they recognized there was an opportunity to be more convenient and more on demand and they did it. And so their model by nature is customer centric. And, you know, you can say whatever you want about the companies. They're customer-centric by nature. And there are others like that, like Sophie, like who do financial services or Mint, who are really customer-centric. And rather than focus on the institutions, they focus on end-user and end-user understanding. So there's multiple angles to what makes a company great at being customer-centric. It could be support like Zappos. It could be the actual business model like Lyft. The bottom line is customer centricity comes in many forms. And what you should always look at is, you know, is the customer the person we're making this decision for? Are they getting the best of the situation? Jenny, thank you very much. Jenny Susson is a research vice president at Gartner. She'll be a lead presenter at the Gartner Application Strategies and Solutions Summit December 4th to 6th in Las Vegas, including on how to supercharge your customers' digital ambitions and preparing for the next generation of customers today. To learn more about the summit and Jenny's presentations, go to gartner.com slash us slash apps.